Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, and today I'm joined by staff reporter Jack Harris and site publisher Chris Cartman. Fellas, how we doing today? I'm doing great, Rob. Uh, just catching up on sleep that I missed with my super late flight Friday night and super early flight back Sunday morning. Um, but other than that, terrific. Chris? So today marks the start of basketball practices. So I'm looking forward to, in our next podcast, having a segment about that. little segment about ASU men's basketball. That's coming up. Are you excited, Chris? I'm always excited. I'm giddy. Chris is always excited. <laughs> He's giddy. Uh, On this episode, we're going to break down Manny Wilkins' passing game against Washington, differences in the run game we saw from ASU against Washington, how the secondary performed, how the Pac-12 did all around in Week 4, and what this loss means for ASU going forward. Um, We're going to make our our weekly Pac-12 picks in the premium podcast. We do that each Thursday. So far, Chris is actually 4-0 in predicting how ASU will do against this bread. Chris, how are you feeling about that? I feel great. Can you provide more context on how I've done (laughs) so far overall this season? Uh, I believe you are 14 and five overall against the spread this season. Sure, I, I can give you the full. Yeah, yeah, Jack Chris, has the full numbers. Chris is 14 and five against the spread. So just one more time. Just okay. It's 14, 14 and five, and five against okay. the spread. I hear the five losses. So so here here's the thing, people. Let's just say right now <laughs> that you're not a subscriber to Sun Devil Source, but you'd like to make a wager or two occasionally on the games. On Thursday, we have all of our Pac-12 picks, including ASU on our premium podcast, which is for members only. Um, Sounds like you could probably pay for the site itself based upon the picks that we're giving if I'm 14 and 5 or anywhere even remotely close to that. So uh, now that said, I'll probably start screwing up and start (laughs) being underwater for the rest of the way. I do want the record to show that I went 4-0 in terms of the games I predicted this past week, but only 3-1. By the way, nobody's doing poorly overall. Well, well, so me and Rob are 11-8 against the spread. That's great. Max is 8-11 against the spread, so he's he's losing money. (laughs) And I would have had an an actually perfect week in both straight up and against the spread if Oregon doesn't fumble the football, I would like to point Uh, out. 11-8 is... Thank you, Oregon, for fumbling the football. 11-8 is extremely respectable. That's right. 8-11 is bad, but we have we have three out of four people who are making money on we this are making thing. It. I mean, I need to start betting myself on some of this stuff. Damn. Maybe not. But we're going to move into key plays in the game against Washington. Guys, Jack, we'll start with you. What's one of the key plays you saw in this game? Um, you know, I think it's kind of tough to point out a ton of like really big turning point plays. I think the single biggest setback ASU had was Traylon Smith's fumble. Uh, that was at a point in the game where they were within a score. They were driving. Um and they might have had a chance if they could either get a field goal or a touchdown that drive to to be on level footing going into the fourth quarter. He fumbles, and it kind of changes the dynamic of the game. Outside of that, though, it was more – there were just a lot of little plays that ASU didn't convert enough of. They had you know some, some bad blown zone coverages that let Washington hit a couple big passes. Um, you saw a lot of – you know they were pretty good on third down, ASU was, but there were also a lot of third and mediums where they had to throw the ball and – they just couldn't. They couldn't complete enough of those passes. Um, I, th- those are the plays that, that stick out in my mind. I think you know, good plays for ASU. Both their scores were set up by by you know one by a big punt return from Nikhil Harry, the other by Chase Lucas's interception. Uh, but it was the small things that that appeared to be the difference in that loss. Everybody remembers the big plays, right? The the Traylon Smith fumble. Um, some other, you know, things that are more kind of indelible. But 
I, I, I really feel like this, this type of a game, there's these little things that nobody even t- will talk about or think about much that really mattered. So, for example, ASU's third series, they're trailing 14 to 10. They're into Washington territory. They're running the ball really successfully. They have a uh, second and six at the, the Washington 42. And it's an RPO concept. Wilkins throws the ball high to Nikhil Harry. And I think Harry was probably one yard off of where he should have been on the route. Uh, he sensed the safety coming over, so he sat it down a little bit early. Wilkins maybe was hesitant a little bit on the play because he, he doesn't see the block setting up. Uh, ahead of it by Cabral to get the, the 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 defender that's in the area, and then so that's incomplete. Well, now third and six, you have a lot fewer options that you can run because a lot of their pass concepts are to five yards right. or less. Your run run plays you're not going to get. So then they they you know they have this uh, uh, Jenkins sort of in cut. The ball kind of hits him in the hand. It was accurate. Nobody else is really open. Wilkins wasn't happy with the stem at the top of the route. And then um, remember the the opportunity that ASU had later in that second quarter where Chase Lucas seemed to drop his head and miss the tackle mm-hmm. in space. And then Gaskin turns the corner and, and ends up getting near the first down marker. And they get points out of that at the end of that drive. There's just little things here and there that are the difference. And in, in this game, Washington had those little things if ASU gets a few of those, I think the game's a lot different going into the or into the fourth quarter. Yeah, because ASU, I mean, they only had the two three and outs in the third quarter. Right. Um, I mean, they they went into the game with the approach of you know they wanted to dink and dunk their way down the field, and for the most part, it worked. It would just be you know there was a chop block penalty that stalled out one drive. There was uh, which happened know, after the injury to Casey Tucker, yes. which was a real uh-huh. factor. Yeah. There was uh, ASU second drive of the game. Manny Wilkins tried to take a, a deep shot to Kyle Williams when he had Nikhil open on a on a hitch route mm-hmm. on the right. And, and it was a, when you play a team like Washington and you're going to do this drive the ball methodically kind of style, the margin of error just really tightens up. Mm-hmm. Um, and ASU just too many little mistakes throughout the course of the game, like Chris mentioned. Moving from key plays to the offensive breakdown in general, really different look for ASU's offense this week. We, we've we seen Manny Wilkins throw for over 40 times in each of the past two games, but against Washington, Sun Devils seem to make a clear focus on running the ball on this dink and dunk offense that Jack was just talking about. ASU had 40 carries for 164 yards, two touchdowns on the ground, averaging 4.1 yards per carry. You know, Benjamin, the sophomore running back for ASU, uh, went 26, had 26 carries for 104 yards in the touchdown. Trelon Smith, uh, back in in his first game uh, since the coach's decision, had had him out about three games, not about three games, three games, uh, and, and he was back eight eight carries for 45 yards. He he only he only actually was coach's decision out for two games. Been le- gotcha. The, the San Diego State game, he just didn't get the reps because he was getting working back in. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it seemed like the running game was working the way that they expected. I mean, he did have a fumble late in that fourth quarter that you guys just talked about. Oh, but it was it in really the middle of the third quarter. quarter. Excuse me, in the middle of the third quarter. But it really did seem like the the running game was doing what ASU wanted it to. Yeah, and the way uh, Herm Edwards explained this was after last week's game against San Diego State, uh, the team flies home. He goes straight to the facility. He watches the game film and kind of decides – ASU needed to change their their running approach, and and you saw it uh, against Washington. There was a lot more gap schemes where guards were pulling around, 
Um, I think we're going to talk about Nick Ralston in a minute and how he was used as a lead blocker a lot of times. Uh, in the games against Michigan State and San Diego State, they were there were a lot more zone runs. And I think the difference you saw this week was uh, when you when you run a gap scheme, it, it allows the players on, on some level to, to, to play a little bit more downhill. They're not having to read the defensive front so much as it is they're just they're they're blocking guys right away and guards are pulling around and playing with size. Casey Tucker had a really good game at left guard even despite being banged up in the second half. Uh, and you saw it right off the get go. They they hand the ball off on that first drive six straight times. They convert they convert a fourth and one out of an I formation on an almost identical play that they failed against San Diego State the week prior. Uh, and the rest of the game, I mean they they really ran the ball effectively. I think there was one drive that the first time they went three and out, they had a bad handoff, and, and that was about the only time they didn't get the, the run game going on a drive. Um, that's a big development because while the passing game was kept pretty quiet against Washington, you have to figure you're not going to face secondaries that good most weeks that, that can you know take away a lot of those third and, and intermediate throws. Uh, Nikhil Harry talked about this today of how, okay, you've seen the offense and the passing game kind of work. This week you saw the running game come together. Now it's how do you mix those things uh, in a game plan to have a more complete offensive performance. But that was a big step for a running game that had been kept quiet for two weeks. Yeah, I think it was huge for their future. Um, San Diego State is a team that lines up in all kinds of different ways, and it makes it it made it hard for the coaches, I think, to build in their, their game plan, And even though they play the same defense. But <laughs> Washington lines up very predictably. You know, okay, this guy's going to be in a five technique. Here's a one technique. Here's a three technique. You know, here, here's what their jack linebacker is going to be doing. And so, and you know how many guys are going to be in the box to, depending upon the formation that you're going to be uh, in. So what 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 that enables is, okay, this is going to run the power play here. The counter tray is going to be run here. Here's how this is going to be be fit up, and where the guys are going to be able to get onto as far as the the blocking and all that stuff. And they came out with it, and it was really quite successful. You know, they moved Casey Tucker mm-hmm. inside to, to left guard. He's got a lot of experience with that because he was at Stanford, which is the quintessential power run, you know, gap scheme in the Pac-12. And Steve Miller did a good job of pulling, especially when he was at right guard, and and getting him with a head of steam coming downhill and Nick Rawlson is a, a heady player who, you know, sees it, knows what he, what he needs to get done. Mm-hmm. And, and they ran the ball six straight times in that first drive after the interception, which was gift wrapped by Washington. And what was interesting about that is that every run was a little bit different. The blocking was different in every single run. And then later on in the half, they, they, they ran additional types of runs. I think they only ran, the same run play, the same exact run play out of the same formation on two occasions for how many times that they actually ran the ball. And and uh, and then they started to do some buck sweep, which is what you do when teams commit more to the box because you can get more guys out in space. That's, mm-hmm. that's sort of like... And then there's RPO uh, stuff that works well off of the counter tray stuff that they were doing. So... so I know this is getting a little football wonky, but but this is the type of stuff that actually should enable them to be able to to make it harder to prepare for for some of their future opponents, mm-hmm. and it's something that really should sell well 
from a, rec- from a recruiting standpoint. And it seems like you almost finished the whole the whole point right there, Chris. But how much did the offensive line being revamped and Nick Rawson's impact shifting back to H-back, how did some of those things positively affect the, this running game? You know, Benjamin mentioned after the game that he really thought that ASU had a solid week of practice with this new uh, this new system with it, with its offensive line with Nick Rawson. Well, I think you look at the guards. Um, that has been a bit of a trouble area for ASU in the first three weeks. Stephen Miller missed the Michigan State game. Uh, Alex Asoya started the year but wasn't really impressive, and Roy Hemsley came in there and, and, and started. Um, but they moved Casey Tucker inside. I thought he had a really good game. Uh, and, and same with Steve Miller. And what you get with both of those guys is athletic size. Like They're both big players, but they both pull around the lines really well. Um, I was also I also thought the tackles it, it was a little easier for them because a lot more times they're doing pin blocks and, and they were they're able to just kind of dive inside to kind of seal the edge. Um, that's like Chris said that's the kind of stuff that when you can mix that in with some of the zone schemes they like to run, uh, it just allows them to be a lot more versatile on offense when it comes to running the football, uh, which they that lack of versatility hurt them mm-hmm. when they weren't able to do it against Michigan State and San Diego State. That kind of dovetails into what I was going to say, which is I, I was kind of surprised that they didn't do some of this stuff against Michigan State, because Michigan State was the team that made sense to do it. Um, you know, San Diego State not so much, but people are going to say, "Oh, you know, Nick Ralston that made a huge difference." I think that I think that was more of an ancillary thing than what was the primary cause of their ability to be successful. Mm-hmm. It was the philosophical change to the different style of blocking in the run game that he enhanced because we saw last the previous week San Diego State there's I formation run three three guys end up in the same in a line right. walking one guy and you had to walk on out there and so Nick Rawson did help but it, it was really the meeting of the minds with Herm Edwards, Rob Likens, Dave Christian saying, hey, how do we get, be successful here? And then what they were able to do and then how quickly those guys were able to implement that in a way that was successful. Mm-hmm. That really is something that could pay dividends down the road. And we'll have more reporting on that meeting that Chris is referring to with, with Herm Edwards and some of the offensive coaches. Uh, ASU only gen- generated 268 yards of total offense despite having success on the ground. ASU had been averaging over 400 yards of offense per game. Wilkins went just 17 for 27 for 104 yards. That was the fewest he's ever had in a full game at ASU. He had a touchdown on the ground. He averaged less than four yards per completed pass, though. Um, some factors along the offense that were struggling. Uh, Nikhil Harry was bottled up for five catches for 20 yards. He did have that long punt return that both of you mentioned for 42 yards. Uh, Wilkins missed Harry on a deep slant in the game. Brandon Ayuk led the team with receiving yards with 36 receiving yards. Um, and, and Harry and Wilkins both looked frustrated at times with the way the offense was, was moving. Well, I think when you look at the passing game, Washington's secondary and what they do, they just they, they put they put quarterbacks and receivers under so much pressure. Um, there weren't very many times you saw guys wide open. And I think the play you mentioned with uh, the, the slant that it looked like Wilkins missed to Harry, that could have even been something – where Manny Wilkins was expecting Nikhil to kind of run a, a deeper route and instead uh, Harry kind of settled down. And it, it's stuff like that. I think it goes back to the point I made earlier. It's like when you play Washington, the margin of error is so small. Manny Wilkins was a little inaccurate against a lot of teams that might not matter, uh, especially on, on when when your receivers aren't blanket, blanketed in coverage so much. Um, I don't... 
Like, I don't look at this game and think, oh, there's something wrong with ASU's passing attack so much. They, they, they really only took one deep shot the entire night that I can remember, which was the one to Kyle Williams. Right. Beyond that, they were that, that game plan was designed to look for short throws. They weren't trying to hit the deep shots because they knew it probably wasn't going to happen. Uh, again, I think it just came down to there was a lack, a lack of execution sometimes. It wasn't Manny Wilkins' sharpest game. It wasn't his receiver's sharpest game. Uh, had it been, ASU might have won. Um, but, you know, this is the problem a lot of teams run into with Washington. That's why the Huskies have played four games this year. They haven't allowed a pass longer than 20 yards. It's just really hard to consistently move the ball through the air against them. I thought watching the game live that Wilkins played worse than I thought when I watched it back. Mm-hmm. Um, he definitely physically had missed a few throws that he, that he could have had the, the the third down one to Darby was was late and behind him I think he 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 could have thrown to kill Harry open on in cut on that on that play and there was as Jack said the one that he took a kind of a vertical shot to Kyle Williams where he had to kill Harry coming open on the backside of that mm-hmm. which um, I think was a missed opportunity Rob Likens talked about missing a few chances, and I think those were kind of some of the couple of the plays he's talking about. There, there, but there were there were not many. There we're talking like three or four, mm-hmm. and then he he sailed a ball on that play I mentioned earlier that was just a little quick hitch route um, that maybe was a run a yard short of when it, where it should have been, and I think there were a few drops, you know, or a few balls that. Easily could have been they caught. They weren't strong enough going up to catch the ball. Correct, and so you catch some of those, and then maybe you, you maybe you hit the right read in a progression on two or three others, and and that definitely can be the difference mm-hmm. between winning and losing. Also, I, I just wouldn't say against Washington. I wouldn't call this a poor performance. I would say that this was a maybe a little below average performance for Manny Wilkins, but I don't think it was as bad. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything maybe you would say that some of the creativity in some of the passing game concepts uh, in some of those key situations wasn't as evolved as it, as it perhaps could have been. Although I also wouldn't say, I mean, I think Rob Likens had a pretty good game plan for this game also. Mm-hmm. So, so it's just, it's just, you go on the road and, and it's, it's tough, man. I mean, I mean mm-hmm. this is like maybe the hardest team to play on the road in the yeah. Pac-12 in, in a tough environment. It's breezy conditions. It's a little bit different and you're, and you're within a touchdown in the fourth quarter. And that's really all you can ask for. Uh, but Chris, going off what you were saying, um, after the game, Wilkins said he's quote, doing what he's coached to do, nothing more, uh, end quote, regarding the offensive play calls. He, he doesn't seem happy with how conservative uh, the offense has been a little bit lately. Maybe that's just myself reading in between the lines too much. What do you guys think has to be done to make ASU's offense maybe more balanced? I think that was more. I think that was more of what he felt about San Diego State. Um, certainly, the offense was balanced in the first two weeks. I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. they didn't run the ball that well against Michigan State, and they had to do it via. Um, on Wilkins' arm quite a bit, even though there wasn't like a lot of explosive plays to be had. And then San Diego State, there were the explosive plays. He wanted to try to go to more of those, I think, and open the game up more in the third quarter of that game. This particular game, I think that he knows that Washington plays a 
20 yard deep center field safety and a lot of cover three looks in zone. And they, the guys were stuck on, right. on their, on their receivers. Like there weren't guys just running open and you weren't going to be able to just get guys into the secondary and the run game is working. I don't, I didn't sense any dissatisfaction from Manny Wilkins about mm-hmm. their approach in that game. And maybe at the, maybe at the end of the, the, the second quarter when they didn't, throw the ball more to try to open it up, but other than that, no. Moving from from offense to defense, Washington had 100 more yards than ASU in this game, 373 to 268 for ASU. The first play from scrimmage was the interception uh, for sophomore cornerback Chase Lucas on the trick play. Uh, Bichelli threw that pass for Washington, but following that play, ASU um, allowed two scoring drives to Washington, both over 75 yards seemed like right after that interception that wasn't Browning's, Browning got into a very consistent rhythm. Yeah, uh, Jake Browning, I thought, had a pretty good game. Um, I think what you saw a lot in this game was a really uh, advanced, uh, complex offense just cr- causing problems for a young, inexperienced defense. Um, there, there was so much pre-snap motion and what we talked about on the Thursday podcast last week, the window dressing and everything that can, especially with the young DBs ASU has, that can that can create some issues. Um, the routes that Washington would run uh, were designed to kind of pull ASU zone coverages apart and, right. and put these guys who remember ASU didn't ASU hasn't played these coverages before. Like Kobe Williams and Taron Adams on, on two separate plays in the game, um, both probably had busted coverages because they lined up on the perimeter against a receiver. The perimeter receiver runs a, an inside post route. Uh, the slot guy that Washington has runs a corner, and instead of uh, Adams and, and Williams coming off of their first receiver to stick in their zone coverage, they stay on the first guy too long. And those are just things that, you know, you have to have those natural instincts and, and comfort playing some of these zone coverages to 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 know how to handle those situations against, again, an offense that, that knows what it wants to do and knows how to attack these things. Danny Gonzalez talked about it after the game, saying – there were, there were too many busted zone coverages that were just, you know, mental assignment errors. And then the, the few times ASU did play man-on-man, man, uh, they didn't make enough plays. I think you look at the one drive where Ty Jones, uh, Washington's six foot four receiver, had two catches, including the touchdown. Um, I, you know, I think it, it's it's similar to the offense where it's the small things. Yeah. You just – you don't have perfect zone coverages. You, you don't make enough plays man-on-man. Man. They didn't get, I don't think, enough pressure on Jake Browning to force him to be uncomfortable. Uh, and and that's the difference in a in a in a close game. And also, Chris Peterson is just kind of a master, and has been a master for a really long time at identifying what coverages teams like to play in certain situations, down distance, yardage, and then figuring out what types of concepts they can use offensively against those defensive systems that will induce the most. Uh, mistakes with eye discipline and, and guys being distracted or caught by the window dressing and, and whatnot, and um, and and we know very established something we've talked about quite a bit. ASU's Tillman position with Jalen Harvey, who's really never played in that type of role before, and then it's Ranger safeties who are, who are um, on the field side, no experience really playing in anything like this, and on the boundary side, not that much. Those guys have been messed up by some of the really good concepts that we've seen by opponents and they're learning on the fly. It's, 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 it's tough. And Washington is really, 
really great at it. And that was problematic for ASU really uh, throughout this game. Yeah, and this is what makes Washington so good, despite the fact that at least this year's iteration doesn't have a ton of, you know, NFL caliber receivers. Jake Browning's not going to be an NFL quarterback. Um, like, it's <laughs> I, I don't think so. Uh, it's <laughs> like, yeah, it's like it's like Chris said. It just it it, it forces it really forces you to play sound assignment football and ASU wasn't quite that on the flip side though they weren't getting burned for big plays over the top like and that's been I think that's been kind of the theme this year for the Sun Devils which is they're not giving up big plays they're not making you know fatal errors so much as it they're, they're making a lot of small mistakes that allow teams to stay on the field a little bit longer than that than the coaching staff would like and Browning finished 15 for 22 for 202 yards and three touchdowns. No interceptions for Browning. And he, it, it's kind of like what Jack said. He just had a very solid game where he just seemed to be in control the whole time. Bichelli made the Aaron pass, and Chris wrote in his upon further review. That was a uh, bad play. That was just a weird, It was a bad play. play Chris wrote in his upon further review, uh, which you guys can check out. That is on the, the, the boards. I mean, I mean, it just... Sometimes when you give skilled players the ability to make throws or, or, or do more than they're asked to do, you can see um, results like we saw Miles Gaskin. They get was, a lot more risk tolerant. Like right. if you get you give a guy I'm one gonna, chance, I'm to, gonna make this throw. I'm gonna coach. make this. I'm gonna make this happen. And Chase Lucas, that was a magnificent play because he his responsibility is sitting in the flat on a cover two there. And he sees that it's a lateral, and he—it's not even his responsibility to break back to the, where the where the re- intended receiver was. He he just bail. I mean, I can't even believe how good of a play that was. And I don't say that very it was, often. It was much better. Chris does not give that praise very often. That it, is, it was much. But he better. also had a key missed tackle. He later does. On. He did. It yeah. was much better than his form on the bicep curls on right. the sideline yeah. afterwards. <laughs> yeah, was, I agree that with that. That was a lot of that was a lot of back motion. I, I gotta be careful with you. I need a back brace, Chase. <laughs> Senior running back Miles Gaskin was very efficient per his usual. Uh, Twenty-one carries for eighty-six yards, averaging over four yards per carry. ASU didn't generate many negative plays though. Only one sack, three tackles for loss. ASU was led in tackles by fre- uh, true freshman linebacker Merlin Robertson. He had 11, seven solo tackles. He had the sack. The secondary was struggling too, though. Yeah, well, the the, the challenge here for Danny Gonzalez is how much pressure versus how much coverage redundancy. What do I do with that? And what they've been so far this season is they, they haven't been a run pressure team. So first and second down, they 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 bring four usually, but they bring four in sort of unconventional ways, right? So they'll bring the linebackers up and they drop two of the linemen back. And they did that a lot in this game. Yeah, they did. Trying to induce some sort of Jake Browning mistake that he didn't make. He avoided those consistently. He also didn't get the ball out hot because it's designed to try to make you think that it's a blitz, but it's not a blitz. Remember, that's how ASU got the interception on the first series of the season against UTSA. And... Was it the first season? The first it series? Was the first Shannon season. Foreman? Yeah, second okay. play of the first pass against the defense. There we go. So so it, it didn't happen in this game. Jake Browning did his job. I think the, the, the dilemma for Danny Gonzalez is in order to try to generate more negatives, are we going to have to start bringing more pressures as run, you know, on rundowns and be content with playing some of these guys in man coverage situationally. Now they did in one situation go with man coverage on a six man pressure and they got beat on it. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's the thing that is in his head that he's waging mm-hmm. like 
what do I do with this? And, and there's not necessarily a right answer. And he's just literally trying to figure this out and, and, and deal with this dilemma on a, not just a game by game basis, but even on like a possession to possession basis. And I think the, the reoccurring theme you're going to see this year is whether or not offenses can, can deal with what ASU does up front. Washington did. You didn't have a lot of free rushers coming like you saw ASU have against, you know, UTSA or Michigan State. I thought there there was only really like one busted protection when Merlin Robertson got his sack. Um, and then Jake Browning wasn't making mistakes against his defense. And when ASU gets in games where offenses aren't are, – are able to deal with the movement and, you know, the different looks and the different things we've talked about that ASU does, that's when – that's when the Sun Devils are going to run into this issue of, well, like what Chris was saying, do we bring more guys in, in, right. in a blitz and, and that mm-hmm. that whole thing. And to hammer this home, the, the really key thing here is if you are only going to be bringing four guys that frequently on, on early downs, your coverage has to be extremely tight on the back end. Right. Whether you, you know, That's a good point. Whatever you're in, you got to be really, really tight, and, and they just aren't to that point yet. So in, in overall, after this game, how do you guys feel the defense should be evaluated? Um, you know, I think for all the, the little mistakes that we talk about them making overall, they do a good job of not letting it kill them. Um, they haven't, you know, you haven't had a game. The defense has given them a chance to win every game. Uh, and for a while with all the inexperienced guys they have trying to learn this new, this new scheme, that's going to be the biggest thing. I think if you're looking for room or where they can improve moving forward, it is letting, or, you know, getting off the field quicker, not letting teams drive on you quite as much. Um, and you know, you, you, You'd expect maybe that comes with as they get more comfortable in the scheme and just a little bit more experience under their belt. And when they're playing, you know, the Pac-12 South isn't stock full of a, a bunch of quarterbacks that are going to pick them apart like Jake Browning was able to do at times. So that's kind of where I'd, I'd stand with them. Look, it's a new scheme. A lot of new personnel that they're relying on. They haven't given up 30 points yet this season. They're not going to give up 30 points to Oregon State, right? right. I, I'm going to – I would bank on that one. And, and Money in the bank. Yeah, so so you know the, the the challenge here is that ASU fans and even us were looking at this through the lens of of seeing a team that was just absolutely terrible uh, defensively for a couple years there and then made some minor improvement last year. What we're seeing with this team for how young the personnel is and the newness of the system and all that stuff is actually pretty good overall. Like you you got to say that they, you got to give them at least like a B grade for how they've done overall, given all of these factors that they're dealing with in terms of the installations and familiarity and, and all that. Yeah, it's like a, they haven't given up a, a play of 40 yards yet this year. They're one of three teams to do that. They've only given up a, a handful of 30-yard plays. Those are the things that would absolutely kill them last year that aren't happening and are keeping them in, in, in games that they weren't in last season. So, Danny Gonzalez, good job on that. Jack, good job finding that factoid, though. We're going to move now to our Around the Pac-12 segment. Um, to tease this though, Chris is still four and zero this week. He's fourteen and five against the spread overall this season. I'm just going to keep Chris, saying that. Chris you was know. real excited as Stanford was, was coming back in the in the Washington press box last week. It just I, I was really excited um, at a funeral actually that Stanford was coming wow. back. It was bad. <laughs> wow. It was a little tough. Hopefully nothing was inappropriate there. But uh, you know, actually, what was cool about that is I picked all four row teams in, yeah. against the spread, which is kind of. You know, I guess I did as well then. Yeah. Oh no, I picked no, one home you, game. I picked yes. one home game. I picked USC at home. Okay, so let's kind of just go over like how the Pac-12 looks right now. 
Okay, going over how the Pac-12 looks right now. Stanford ranked at number 7, Washington at 11 after this game to ASU. Oregon at 19 and Cal at 24. Colorado and ASU, both the two other Pac-12 teams receiving votes still. Uh, number 7, Stanford came back to beat Oregon, number 20 Oregon at that time, in a thriller in overtime, 38-31. Reaction on that game? Yeah, I mean we've that talked was, about that at Nazi. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a bad loss for Oregon. Here's what I here's my big takeaway from the weekend. Washington State might be the fifth best team in the North, and they went to USC and took the Trojans, who could even though they've struggled, still might be the best team in the South. They took them to the wire. The Pac-12 South is not good. There nope. are there are so many flaws with with all of these teams. I think the way it impacts ASU is when you like there's a very good chance that the Pac-12 South Division champion has three losses. I, I think that that's – it's going to be probably at least two, but, but maybe three. And, and for the Sun Devils, um, like I look at these next two weeks as really crucial games to kind of where the season goes as they enter their bye week. If you if you take care of Oregon State and you go on the road and you beat Colorado, um, there's a – you can look at it and say realistically – here's our path to, to how you how you win the Pac-12 South, and it's beating all the other Pac-12 South teams. You still have to play, obviously, Stanford and Oregon, which could be losses. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you if they go on the road and they beat Colorado in two weeks and they go to the bye week four and two, it just I think it feels a lot different than if they lose one of these next two games and they're three and three, um, and really any chance of them winning the division is probably out the window. Yeah, I don't think we need to go over every single individual game, but – uh, Fair. I would just echo that the North is just dramatically better than the South. Yeah. Um, you definitely could have five North teams better than any South team, potentially. Four, you know, four, maybe five, three for sure. And 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 the other thing I would just say is that there's no way to forecast the Pac-12 South right now. It really is, it is not. It, it is impossible to forecast the Pac-12 <laughs> South right now. Real quick, who do you guys think, like, who's the best team in the Pac-12 South right now, your opinion? I would say it's USC, and they have not looked good. Probably Boise State or maybe San Diego State. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got to give an answer. No, 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 no. We're not letting them off the hook. You got to give an answer for that. I would almost lean towards Colorado right now. They look like the team with one. the just that hasn't I, had a, it sounds, a stinker yet. It sounds crazy, but I'm gonna actually say Utah. Maybe. That's they had, not. They definitely that have the best defense. They have. They have the top yeah. defense. In Their the defense right is now. so good that that's as Herm Edwards would say. Defense travels, guys. That's right. He also game. says run game travels. Through defense and run game travels. Right. I, I I have no idea, man. But but Utah's the answer for this podcast. Yeah, I mean, just and then like later on in the podcast, I'll say USC. Sounds good. Sounds good. And then I'll finish with Colorado. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna finish up though this podcast with. With what this loss at Washington means for ASU going forward, obviously with Oregon State coming in, it seems like ASU's got a much easier test. Obviously with or the or, with a one and three team coming in, what do you guys see about this loss? It just means ASU's two and two, which <laughs> which great analysis. Yeah, um, no, I think this is what we most people expected ASU's record would be after four games, and. Maybe the team's on a little bit better in some respects. Maybe the team's on a little bit worse in some respects. But it basically is what I think we sort of expected it would be. And this Oregon State is an important game for ASU to basically fire on all cylinders against a lesser opponent, right? It's an opportunity to have a 500 offensive yard game or at least 400 and some it's an opportunity to have 40 points at home and and ha- do that in a balanced way it's an opportunity right. to get more sacks and tackles for loss and get off blocks and stop the run i think i think that they just need to get all of that stuff just kind of flowing 
in a little bit, you know, more cohesive fashion so that when they go to Colorado, they're just in a, in a uh, momentum building sort of state. I, I think it's a, it's another piece of evidence that, the, that this team's probably a little bit further along than we might have expected them to be. I mean, last year at home against Washington, ASU had to play an almost perfect game with a bunch of lucky breaks, and Washington had to play right. a really poor game for the Sun Devils to be in that one late. This week, we, we talked about all the little mistakes ASU made and how clean Washington played, and yet if, if that catch doesn't get overruled late in the game, the Sun Devils have a chance to tie it. So that's where I'd stand is – if they can put it together, there's ASU's going to have a chance to win a lot of games this year. I don't, I don't think, um, I don't think Washington's quite as good as it was last year. Um, I agree with you fair. on that. You know, so that's that's another factor. Even though it's probably still a top two team in the Pac-12, it's a little bit less. But the game was there. I mean, that's a that's a that's a major factor. Last question for you, Chris. How do you think the team can take positives shown in this game in terms of some of the effectiveness of the running game? How can they take that and get it going into the entire rest of the season? Well, something that we haven't really talked about on this podcast that's important just to kind of put a bow on this whole thing is that they intentionally wanted to play a game with fewer snaps, fewer position possessions. They were both in the 60s. And they're trying to figure out how to do that while also maximizing Nikhil Harry, Mm -hmm. having synergy to their defense. And I think that they're, that's still a work in progress, but they're making strides towards that, that I think should pay dividends for this program next week and then beyond, especially projecting into next year. Coaches even talked about it. Like they're not going to have Manny Wilkins next year. So you better have a, a, a potent run game that you can, whoever your, you know, new quarterback is, that person can can take solace and that we have that that we can sort of hang our hats on. Hey, a run game and a defense travels real well, right? Somebody said that just a couple minutes ago. Somebody I think. said yeah. that. Uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. You did a great right job. Now, you did a great job hosting this one, Rob. Appreciate that. Yeah. Alongside staff reporter Jack Harris and High site five, publisher Rob. Chris Cartman, I'm Rob Warner saying so long and thank you for tuning in.